The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to today's show. Um, My name is Mary Woods. I'm the host of today's show and I'm also the CEO of Westbridge. At Westbridge, we're very happy to bring you our show today, which is called Goodbye Ed, Hello Me. And our guest is Jenny Schaefer, who is an internationally known author and speaker whose work has helped change the face of recovery from eating disorders. She has appeared on shows like Dr. Phil and Entertainment Tonight. She has publications ranging from Cosmopolitan to the Washington Post. And she has talked before live audiences of men and women who are seeking real solutions to their eating disorders. And Jenny quotes by saying that I want people who struggle with eating disorders to know it is possible to move from being in recovery to being fully recovered. She says, I want them to get on into life and follow their dreams and not be stuck or defined by an eating disorder. Welcome, Jenny, to our show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. And I I will just go on by saying that the title of your new book is Goodbye, Ed, Hello, Me. But you did write a book prior to this one, and that was called? That was called Life Without... Ed. Like without Ed. People might not know out there, but Ed is actually an acronym for eating disorder, ED. And how did you end up getting involved with Ed? (laughs) That's such a good question. I actually started hearing Ed's voice at the very young age of four. I actually remember being in dance class at four years old and remember already at that age comparing myself to the other girls in the room and thinking that I wasn't good enough, thinking that I was bigger than them. And the thing about eating disorders is if you don't question that negative voice, it just seems to get louder. So as I grew older, that voice just got louder and louder, and then I started acting out in negative eating behaviors. Didn't get help till I was 22 years old. Um, can you share with us a little bit why you call, why you personified your eating disorder in kind of a human form? Yes, actually, you know, that was not my idea. I was taught that in therapy. When I finally got therapy at 22 years old, I walked into the office and my therapist, Tom Rutledge, actually told me to pretend like my eating disorder was sitting in a chair in the office there, so an empty chair. And then he said, why don't you talk to Ed? He said, tell Ed what you what you." what you feel like, what you think about him. And, of course, he said, Ed, is your eating disorder? Let's pretend like it's a person. So in that very first session, I actually tried to talk to my eating disorder, which I was actually treating as a person, which at the first, I'll be honest, it sounded a little weird to me. (laughs) And it was a little bit funny, but it really worked. It felt really good to separate myself from this disorder that I'd been living with, and I felt a little bit of power in that separation, and it felt good to feel Jenny again. And 
to be able to talk to Ed and talk back to Ed, and, and it really worked for me. So we stayed with that, and it took many, many years, but I finally recovered. And what's, I guess, what's really important about that whole concept is that you were able to differentiate yourself from the eating disorders when so often in time, in treatment people kind of take on the persona of their diagnosis as, as opposed to their own self. Oh, yes, definitely. That's a, a great point. I actually used to feel like I was an eating disorder. I felt like I was anorexia and bulimia. That was my entire identity. And now in the work that I do, I actually meet men and women across the country and the world, really, that will say the same thing. They say, well, I feel like I, I am anorexia. I am bulimia. That's just how I am. That's who, who I was when I was born. And that's why this technique was really helpful to me because I could separate and I started to see that I'm not an illness. I might struggle with an eating disorder, but it is not me and I can fully recover from it. And when you say you're not an illness, um, what exactly, how do you exactly recover from an eating disorder? Because when I, when I think about treating brain diseases and um, other types of uh, disorders, um, you know, people can live without alcohol, people can live without cocaine, but I've often thought, you know, eating disorders are seem to me to be very hard to treat because you just can't shut the door on food, you know, like you can alcohol, cocaine, heroin, pot. Yeah, you, you make a, a great point and one that I actually talk a lot about, and you're exactly right. I, I could not just give food up as much as I would have liked to at times, actually. Like people with alcoholism can can quit drinking, but I, obviously I couldn't do that with food. And I had to learn to find a balance with what I was essentially addicted to. That was really, really difficult and challenging, and it took years. But in the end, I think that's why I can say that I'm, I'm fully recovered. I've actually been able to find balance with food, something I see every day, something I have to eat every day, which I now enjoy. And I feel like those of us who struggle with eating disorders can really completely recover because we're forced to find balance. Do you see an eating disorder as being, um, as people who, I know I know a lot of people who feel like that they're quote-unquote addicted to white sugar and, or white flour and processed sugar and that that was kind of like the the source of their um, eating disorder. Have, have you ever heard that, or yeah, I have. I have heard that. In my personal recovery, I don't. I don't feel like I was addicted in the literal sense of the word to food. I felt like I was addicted to food. I was more though addicted to the behavior. So when I struggled with something in my life, if even if I got into a minor fender bender from that to somebody in my family getting diagnosed with an illness, my number one coping mechanism was to run to food. And it numbed me immediately, and it worked. And so I kept turning to it, and I was really addicted to that behavior, not the food in and of itself, which is why today I can eat anything I want. It's amazing. It's really interesting because those of us who recover from eating disorders, we actually almost get to a point where we're healthier with food than than most normal people and that's because I went to years of therapy to learn how to eat a hamburger without feeling guilty you know I went to body image therapy group to learn how to love my thighs the way they are and most women and men in our country don't get to do that kind of stuff so today I feel 
Like, I have a freedom that a lot of people I know don't have with food. Sometimes I eat chocolate cake for breakfast just because it's there and it looks good. (laughs) Other times I have a bagel, and it's really about listening to my body. I think that that's hard for a lot of people to be able to listen to their body and know when when you're full, when you're not full, what is, uh, you know, what, what you're feeling is it a result of a low blood sugar or the fact that you're angry and you just want comfort food? I mean, we all talk about comfort food. And, oh, it's um, true. And, it's, and, and, it's and if you think culture. about it, too, like we're taught in our culture, we're taught to eat based on external cues. You know, we're taught at 8 o'clock you eat breakfast, 12 you eat lunch, and 5 you eat dinner. And we're taught to eat based on the clock or based on maybe a billboard we see that tries us to go get to, get us to stop at the next drive through And we're taught to eat by external things. We are not taught to eat by listening to our body. It's something I had to learn. I didn't learn it, gosh, till I was well into my late 20s. Um, I know in your book you talked about how you finally have thighs that actually come together and, um, and that you celebrate <laughs> that when most of us are trying very hard to keep that from happening. So. <laughs> yeah, um, there is a chapter in my book that talks about my it's actually called a thigh of relief, I believe, that chapter. And it does talk about how I used to measure my self-worth by so many strange behaviors with my body, the scale, and things like that. And one of them was by looking in the mirror and seeing if my thighs touched at the top. And if they did not touch, I felt like I was a good person and that I could go on that day and be happy. But if they touched, then I felt like I wasn't a good person, that I was overweight and the truth is I'm a healthy weight today and my thighs do touch at the top and I don't care. It's, it's amazing. I actually think I think my body is beautiful. It's not perfect. You're not going to see me on the cover of a swimsuit magazine or anything, but I'll tell you what, my body can do a lot of great things and, and I love it. Um, I think it's like really exciting to hear about recovery from eating disorders because so often we hear about the other side. We hear about the Karen Carpenters and the you know, the mama cast, and even Michael Jackson. It was one of the things they were saying about him prior to his death. And, um, you know, there, it seems like of all the disorders, you don't hear about eating disorders in a hopeful way. Yeah, I think some of the coverage of eating disorders really does need to change. You You do see a lot of negative things. You also see some things that are not too helpful. For instance, they'll talk about a star that's maybe really skinny and they'll say she has anorexia and then they'll say she went to treatment and in 30 days they'll say she's out and she's better. And that, to be honest, is really not helpful to people either because the treatment process is not that easy. I get emails from young girls who think, well, so-and-so celebrity went to treatment and was better in 30 days, so I can too. And, And that's just not the case. Treatment will help you and 30 days can really get you on a good track, but it is not over. So when you're talking about recovery from eating disorders, you're talking about years, not months. There's no quick fix. So I think the media coverage in all could really be changed to, to fight this disorder. If you think about it, the media and the weight loss programs out there, they really promote eating disorders in the sense that we're constantly told to eat less and eat less and and to be thinner. And so those of us who struggle with eating disorders, we often get complimented and receive pats on the back for these negative behaviors we have. When I was really thin and very unhealthy, I constantly received comments from people, you look great, how are you doing it? It's an illness that people have that they actually receive good feedback from, which that needs to change. 
it's really a negative reinforcer. I mean, oh, absolutely. But so often that's the case. I mean, we, you know, how we look is is uh, it's our value. You know, if we're if we don't fit a certain look or a certain style, then you know we're not as marketable. We're not as successful. We're not as healthy. It's true, and we need to be real careful about the messages we're giving young people out there. I wrote about this in my first book, Life Without Ed, but I remember being in dance class and having a dance teacher tell us at eight years old that we all needed to lose weight. And we'll be right back to talk with Jenny some more about Goodbye Ed, Hello Me. If you have any questions, please give us a call. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh, anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Janine Marks, a 12-year-old, was fairly normal. She spent a lot of time online. One day, she met a new friend. The new friend had the same problems at home. They liked the same bands. They worried about the same subjects in school. They promised to keep each other's secrets. They wished they went to the same junior high. The new friend had good news. He said he was going to be in Janine's area one Saturday. He thought it would be amazing if they could just hang out, go to the mall. Janine agreed. The new friend didn't want parents messing this up. Janine showed up alone. So did her new friend, who wasn't in junior high wasn't nice, and wasn't a 14-year-old boy. Every day, children are sexually solicited online. Help delete online predators. Call 1-800-THE-LOST or visit CyberTipLine.com to learn how to protect your kids' online life. A message from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the Ad Council. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, We're talking with Jenny Schaefer, and we're talking about her book, Goodbye, Ed, Hello, Me, which is a metaphor. Um, And throughout the metaphor, you're using this as a relationship, as courting, as um, divorce. And maybe you could just share with our listeners why you chose the metaphor and a little bit more about the whole concept. Yes, well, like I mentioned, in one of my first therapy sessions, my therapist, Tom Rutledge, actually encouraged me to separate from my eating disorder, name it, actually name it ED, which is an acronym, ED for eating disorder, and then talk to it. So really in my early therapy, what I had to do was just separate from ED. And so what that meant was when I heard negative thoughts related to food, things like you're fat, don't eat this, don't eat that, even things like you're not good enough, I had to begin to realize that those thoughts really were coming from the eating disorder, that those were coming from Ed, not Jenny. And next, I learned to disagree with those thoughts. Once I could identify them, I then learned to disagree with them and and ultimately disobey them. And then finally, to just connect with myself, I can honestly say today, I don't talk to Ed anymore. It, we, we're not in a relationship, as I said in my book. We are divorced. So, so now it's just it's just Jenny, and I'll tell you what, that's really nice. It's freeing to not hear that negative voice constantly throughout the day. And you differentiate in your book between being in recovery and being recovered, and could you share with us how you conceptualize that? Yes. For years I actually thought that I was always going to be in recovery from an eating disorder. And to me, that felt very hopeless at times because food is something that I had to see every day for the rest of my life. I felt almost like it was something that was going to haunt me forever, that maybe I could find freedom on some level but not true freedom. And that was not very helpful to me. In fact, it was harmful. As long as I believed I was in recovery and that Ed was going to possibly haunt me, then I I would end up relapsing. Basically, that kind of thinking allowed me to keep my eating disorder as an option in my life. I'm so grateful that in my life, I finally met some people who said they were fully recovered, period, from an eating disorder. And they taught me that I don't have to struggle forever, that I can find full freedom. And slowly in my life, I started to see that. I started to see that I could go through difficult things in my life, like a broken wedding engagement, for instance. My dad had cancer. And I did not have to turn to food to cope. I turned to other things. And so I started believing that I could claim fully recovered for myself. And as soon as I started claiming that, I realized it was true so that today I really don't talk to Ed anymore. I hear societal Ed, which I talk about in my book. It's it's our society. It's the messages we all hear. But thanks to my own personal Ed, I know how to deal with that. So I feel very grateful today. Um, in terms of the history of eating disorders, um, do you know when we first started to really, um, when this really started to explode, the whole eating disorders? I know that, you know, back in, when Karen Carpenter died, that actually brought a lot of attention to the illness. 
And that was back around 1980. And that's finally when people started paying a little more attention to eating disorders. Bulimia wasn't even a diagnosis until around that time. So this is a, a relatively new disorder when we're looking at people being trained on how to treat it and and people paying attention to it. However, I'll say that centuries ago, they have records of people who struggled with eating disorders. Sadly, just no one started talking about it until the last 30 years or so whole body image um, that you talk about, you know, uh, I think that one of the benefits for eating disorder treatment is being able to come to terms with, with your body and how it looks and how you feel in your body. I think women in general, and I think even men, you know, you talk about society, uh, societal ed, that we hear such negative messages, men and women, whether it's on TV or, you know, sports or or whatever, that it's just, it's hard. I think it's hard for everyone. Oh, it, it's it's really hard, and that's why in many ways I feel like I'm lucky that I was able to go through the treatment for an eating disorder because I, I learned things that were not taught if we're not in treatment for an eating disorder. It's a little strange. I You know, I actually went to body image therapy group once a week for years. So I really was able to work on my body image where normal women and men in our society who don't have eating disorders, they never have that opportunity. And so I, I kind of was forced to become a healthier person than I ever would have been thanks you to know, my eating disorder. At the same time, I'll say I would never go back and, and choose to have an eating disorder just to get what I have today. It was that, that painful. Right, right, right. Well, and, you know, when you think about, um, you know, we have such a high rate of obesity and morbid obesity among children and adults, and um, fast food is so, you know, we've just been conditioned to, if it's quick, it's easier. Um, it's easier to get a takeout food than it is to steam vegetables. And, um, you know, it's almost like, in many ways, the whole media and marketing is kind of stacked at act against us in terms of being healthy and, and feeling good about ourselves. Yeah, you're right. We And we get very mixed messages. On many ends, we're told to diet and to not eat this and not eat that. And then on the other end, we're often told to eat more. We're told to supersize it, get more for your money at all these fast food restaurants. And it's like we're told eat, 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 but don't look like you eat. And what's interesting to me is if, if you look at the cover of some women's magazines, Next time you're in the grocery store, check it out, and you'll see. You'll notice there'll be at least one one magazine that'll have a recipe for a chocolate cake on the front. You know how to make this great chocolate cake, and then right next to that will be an ad for how to lose ten pounds in two weeks. And we're constantly bombarded with these mixed messages. It's no wonder that everyone's really confused about it all. I know. You know, I can remember growing up when I was young, seeing uh, Sandra D in movies and thinking that she was just so perfect. You know. And my clothes never fit on me like they fit on her. And then I was so um, sad to read uh, that she struggled with an eating disorder all through that time when I thought she was just the perfect teenager, you know? Oh, I know. And it's, I know. And that's they're seeing that, you know, with a lot of different stars. Twiggy was a model who came out who, who really put out the image to be very thin. And, and I've heard recently that she had struggled with an eating disorder. It's an illness that so many people struggle with and many people never come to terms with it and never get help. That's why I actually love doing what I do right now is I just think anybody out there listening, if, if they're struggling with food on any level, 
it's worth a phone call to get some help. So many times people think, well, I don't have it that bad. I, I'm not, I'm not that thin or I'm not that overweight. Well, 70% of people with bulimia are normal weight. They're not overweight. They're not underweight. They look normal. And I just wish people, more people would seek help. You are also an ambassador for the National Eating Disorders Association. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, the National Eating Disorders Association is an, an amazing, amazing group. It's a nonprofit. They actually have a, a helpline and an amazing website that people can find out about by going to, to my website. I have links to some great, great organizations. But my website is goodbyeedhelloMe.com, and I'd love for people to check out the National Eating Disorders Association through that because they have some amazing events. We're actually doing a walk in New York City on October 11th. If anyone lives in Manhattan, we'd love for you to come and join us, and information's on my website about that as well. But I'm ambassador with some really amazing people. I don't know if you – do you know Emmy? She's a, a great model and a great spokesperson for Nina, and, and there's many other people who I have the opportunity to, to serve with. You also are a singer-songwriter. Can you tell us a little bit about your career as a singer-songwriter? You live in Nashville. So yes, I live in Nashville. With, we're almost everyone's a songwriter. I actually graduated from college in Texas in 1998, and I was supposed to go to medical school, but I was really sick with my eating disorder at that time, and I actually knew that if I went to medical school, it would probably kill me because of how my eating disorder played in with my perfectionism and my behavior with school that I really thought I would die. So I actually asked medical school for a year deferral. I planned actually to get better and then go back to med school in a year. Well, what happened was I actually moved to Nashville during that year. I wanted to pursue music, which was another passion aside from medicine. And when I got to Nashville, I realized I was so sick with my eating disorder that I couldn't sing. I couldn't write a song. I couldn't function as a waitress. I had many jobs that I couldn't even show up for because I was so sick. And so I finally, after being in Nashville about a year, I got help for my eating disorder. And I told medical school at that time that I wouldn't be able to go back. And that's really when the long, long journey of recovery started. And it took years and years for me to get fully better to where I could actually even sing again and write again. And I'm just now learning guitar. I actually bought a guitar 10 years ago when I first moved to Nashville and never took it out of the closet. I was so sick with my eating disorder. I finally took it out of the closet, and I'm excited. I've been playing guitar all around the country. I only know one song, but it's fun to play it. (laughs) Well, and I think one of the things you talk about in your book, too, is um, the physical price that you uh, experience as a result of your eating disorder and in terms of osteoporosis and um, other complications as well. Oh, yeah, and eating disorder affects people on all levels, and physically it affects the tip of your toes to the hair on your head. I was diagnosed with osteoporosis, weakening of the bones, at 22 years old. 22, that is really, really young to be struggling with osteoporosis, and luckily I was able to reverse a lot of those effects by eating right and by working with my doctor, but I think a lot of people out there don't realize the physical damage that comes from an eating disorder as well as everything else. It's a, it's a biopsychosocial illness. It affects everything. And we'll be back to hear, um, we'll start our next segment with Jenny's song, It's Okay to Be Happy, and we'll be right back. 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to the Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and today we're talking to Jenny Schaefer, who is the author of Goodbye, Ed, Hello, Me, Recovering from Your Eating Disorder and Fall in Love with Life. And uh, she also wrote Life Without Ed. And um, we said in our last segment that that Jenny is a singer-songwriter, and we are going to now listen to her um, song called It's Okay to Be Happy. So sit back and relax. When I lose ten pounds and then lose five more When I'm finally size six, better yet size four When I grow my hair to where it should be When I look in the mirror and like what I see Maybe then, maybe then, maybe then I'll be happy When I buy a big house and I'm out of debt When I get that job, have a safety net When I fall in love with that perfect guy I can take a deep breath, I can start my life Maybe then, maybe then, maybe then I'll be happy Be happy Now that's what I've 
when I first told my parents that I was struggling and that I got help. And I was living in an entirely different state than they were living. So what they did for me was they actually came to Nashville several times and went to family therapy with me, which was very helpful. But mostly they just learned how to listen and how to support me. One thing that they learned was that they would never understand what it was like to have an eating disorder, but that that really didn't matter and that they could stop trying so hard to understand and they could just support me and believe me. And I'll give you an example. Like, I used to complain that I I was fat. I would tell my parents, I feel fat. And my mom finally learned not to fight me on that and not to say, "Well, well, you're not fat. How could you think you're fat? She would just say, I believe that you feel that way. I don't understand how you do, but I believe you, and I'm sorry, and I support you. And once my parents and I got on the same page about that, it was amazing. They they were so helpful to me, and my entire family was too, my two brothers. Thank you so much. That helps a lot, Jenny. Are you Thank a mom? You for calling. I am a mom, and I actually I coach other parents who are parents of children with eating disorders. So Jenny's words, uh, especially saying, "I believe you feel that way," I don't understand, but I I I understand. I believe you. I think I got that right. That's so helpful. Yeah, and Becky, I mean, we I met you in Minneapolis, right? Yes, at the NIDA conference. Yeah, we were on a panel together, and. Thanks for calling. And something I mentioned at the, I don't know if you saw me talk at the conference, but something that's always been helpful to parents, and it's in my first book, is a quote that I said, and it's something I've heard about eating disorders. But the quote is, when it comes to eating disorders, from the outside looking in, you can't understand it. And from the inside looking out, you can't explain it. And 
that's the bad news, but the good news is that it doesn't matter. And that right there has helped so many families really just learn to support their loved ones and stop trying so hard to get into the mind of someone with an eating disorder because it's pretty impossible to do. Now that I'm recovered, I have a hard time understanding eating disorders, which <laughs> might be strange, but but it, it, it does get to be that way. Um, Becky, can I just ask you a question? Sure. Um from a family's perspective, what what is it like to have a family member with an eating disorder? It's very frightening. Um, uh, as parents, and I've learned this from many other parents, we tend to live in a constant state of fear and panic, fear that we're going to lose this person and this absolute panic about we don't know what to do to help them. So it, it's really, really frightening, and I think Jenny's words are so important to learn how that you don't have to really understand it is so essential because that lets go of some of that panic piece. Like, okay, I don't have to know how to fix this. And then learning to accept that this is something your loved one is dealing with and that they will they will somehow get better on their own terms. And, Becky, don't you think it's different, too, where – Depending on the age of the person struggling, because I know if I were if I were 12 or 15 when I first told my parents, my recovery would have looked a lot differently. They would have had to be involved in in many more ways because I would be at their house, living, eating with them. It makes mm-hmm. a big difference. Huge difference, and, and and parents go through those transitions. If your child gets sick when they're maybe like you said, 12 or 13, and you're dealing with it day in and day out, you know, like okay, well, how do we buy the groceries? How do we put the food on the table? Who makes the doctor appointments? You know, how much are the parents involved? There's so many minute little details to attend to. And then as the person, child ages and then becomes 18, your role as a parent changes dramatically. And there's a tremendous amount of peer pressure in late adolescence and early teenage years, too, around body image and what somebody should look like or not look like. Yes, yes, and then parents have to deal with that and, and what to say. And, and I think people like Jenny have really given me some words. I don't know, I didn't catch the beginning of the show, and I don't know if you talked about Kitty Weston, but she had such wonderful words that she used with her daughter when family members or friends would make comments about her daughter's body, which can be so challenging for the person fighting the eating disorder. And to just take the daughter aside and say, you know, um, I know that whoever that was, <laughs> Aunt Edna, didn't mean to say that, didn't mean any ill will. Tell me what you heard and tell me what the eating disorder heard. And then kind of deprogramming it and going, you know, because if Aunt Edna came in and said, oh, wow, you look great, you look like you've gained some weight or maybe you've lost some weight or whatever, your body looks so nice, she might hear, oh, my gosh, I look fat and disgusting. Or the eating disorder might hear that, right, right. Jenny? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great point. I had to really have, I had to teach my parents and my whole family what not to say. And when I knew I had gained weight, and which was good for me, I actually had to tell them, when I see you over the holidays, do not tell me that I look healthy, because <laughs> that will send me into a downward spiral. So my parents learned not to make comments about my body, and that's because I told I t- had to teach them. Otherwise, they might have said, you look healthy, you look great. Well, you look healthy is often something horrible to tell someone in recovery from an eating disorder. I will say that changes. Today, I love it when people tell me I look healthy. Today, it's a compliment, but 10 years ago, that would have sent me into a, a relapse, probably. And if, as a parent, we learned to not make those comments, but then when other family and friends show up and they say those things, I just go, ah, what do I do? 
And I loved it when Kitty taught me those words to say, to, you know, just take the person, you know, with the eating disorder aside and say, all right, let's just deprogram here. Because you can't teach the entire world to not say those things. Yeah, it's hard. For those those listening who don't know, Kitty Weston is an amazing advocate for eating disorder recovery. Sadly, tragically, her daughter, Anna, actually died from an eating disorder. And Kitty's really made it her mission to to get the word out to help other families. She definitely has a lot of good advice. Yeah, I I thought that was a big one. One of the things that you wrote in this book, and I'm assuming you wrote in your other book, about how oftentimes, like, your parents thought, what did they do wrong, when it's it's really not about that. Yes, I I love, actually I have another friend the eating disorder field, Laura Collins, who wrote a book called Eating With Your Anorexic, but she often says to parents, lose the guilt and blame. In other words, stop stop blaming yourself. At first, when my mom found out that I had an eating disorder, she went out and bought books on eating disorders, and, and, and the old literature actually blames parents a lot, just like any illness. Mothers, don't they always get blamed for illnesses? And what's great about the eating disorder field now is that people are starting to really speak out against that. It's not it's not a family's fault. Eating disorders are biopsychosocial illnesses. They they are driven by genetics and and so many things that you can't blame people. But something I think is really helpful for families, and my mom and dad agreed, is that. My parents never did anything wrong, but sometimes they didn't always know what to do right. And now they do, and that's why I talk about it. And an example of that is when I was younger, I always made straight A's in school. I studied all the time. I was salutatorian in my high school. I was going to medical school. Well, my parents thought that was great. They would pat me on the back and say, good job, just like any parent would do. But what they learned was that I was the type of kid that in high school, when I went home and studied all all night long, I was the type of kid that they needed to say, Jenny, you need to stop studying and you need to go out and have fun with your friends. (laughs) Parents don't think that. But by college, my parents did get that, and they actually called me once. My dad said, Jenny, do not get straight A's anymore. We want you to get a C, (laughs) because they saw how the perfectionism was really driving me into a negative place. So they learned that, but there's little nuances like that that parents just don't know, and you really don't learn it until you get in the middle of it. But that's why I like to talk, and people like Becky and Kitty, too, we can try to help people learn things that we didn't know at the time. Are there, is there a how-to book for parents or a helpful hint, like what to say, what not to say, the things that you're talking about? There actually, you know, the National Eating Disorders Association website has some great resources for parents. It's www.myneda.org, M-Y-N-E-D-A.org. They have amazing resources for parents. And then, like I mentioned, my friend Laura Collins, she actually has a great organization called Feast that has amazing resources for parents and her book as well, Eating With Your Anorexic, which really helps families get more involved in the treatment process. In the old days, parents used to be pushed away and told by treatment providers, we'll fix your child and you don't do anything. Well, we've learned that that wasn't necessarily helpful, that families can actually help a lot and they need to be involved. And we'll be right back. Thank you, Becky. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just 
don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desk, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Ever seen a hornet, Shelly? No, ma'am. Oh, well, you're five. What are you waiting for? They've built a nest outside your window. See? No. You will when you climb 15 feet up this ladder to get rid of them. Take this insecticide and broom <laughs> and send those stinging meanies packing. What if I fall? I could get hurt. Oh, you know about gravity already. You're so smart. Oh, go, 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 go. The hornets are waiting. Uh, shoot! Get away! You wouldn't treat your child like an adult, so why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. That's so cute. No, honey, hornets don't bite, silly. They sting. Ow! For more information, go to boosterseat.gov. This message brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Department of Transportation. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Jenny Schaefer, and we're talking about her book, Goodbye Ed, Hello Me, and Eating Disorders and Recovering from Eating Disorders. I want to thank Becky for calling in and giving us a family perspective and 
Jenny, can you let folks know how to get a hold of how to get your song if they want your song, which was really cool? Yes, actually, I have a website. The song there's a link on my website to listen to the song or even purchase CDs, but it's www.goodbyeedhelloMe.com. And I want to point out, I wrote that song with two of my best friends here in Nashville, hit writers Dave Berg and Georgia Middleman, and folks can check out other music by all of us on my website as well. And um, you, you had mentioned to me during the break that you've got a number of speaking engagements, including Yale and Harvard. Um, can you let us know where you're going to be if people want to hear you? Yes, I would love for people to check out my website and go to the button that says, Where's Jenny? I'm going to be at Yale University next week. At the end of October, I'll be at Harvard. And in between, I'll be at Long Island. I'll be in New York City. I'll be in Utah. So, And I'm going to be in Maryland coming up, Philadelphia, and Calgary. So if you live in any of those places, please check out my site and come see me. Pretty much, Most of my events are free to the public, and so you, anybody can come. And um, one of the things I just want to touch on before we, we close our session is that in your book you talked about the importance of faith and believing in something greater than yourself. And um, I just wondered if you would share a little bit about how that helped in terms of your recovery. Yes. This might sound strange to people listening, but AA meetings helped me so much in my recovery because they brought me a spiritual perspective to the recovery process in talking about the 12 steps. My therapist actually encouraged me to attend open AA meetings. I wasn't in recovery for alcoholism, but everything that those people said in those rooms I could relate to. And I started realizing that I needed to connect with something greater than myself in order to get better. I needed to connect with more spiritual things in my life. And and when I say that, I'm not just talking about God, but I'm talking about things like like music, like connecting with nature, with building relationships with people. Those are all spiritual experiences to me and things that I never did when I was struggling with my eating disorder. My eating disorder was essentially my higher power for so many years. It was the only relationship I had. It was my boyfriend. It was everything. So to get better, I had to get out of myself, and spirituality helped a lot. And for um, for anybody who's interested in terms of uh, learning more about the family perspective, could you just tell folks again um, the website that you've given us of your friends? Yes. Um, if people want to check out Laura Collins' website, it's the Feast website, which is Families Empowered and Supporting the Treatment of Eating Disorders. It's an acronym. And the website for that is www. F-E-A-S-T hyphen E-D dot org. And if people go to my website, goodbyeadhellome.com, and go to the eating disorder links page, there's a, a lot of links to the National Eating Disorders Association, to Center for Change, an amazing treatment program that I work with in Utah that also has great resources for parents. So I think people could learn a lot just by checking out the links page. Um, in your the last chapter of your book is called Happily Married, Falling in Love with Life. And in it you have a couple um, chapters. One is on marrying myself and the other one is the next right thing. Could you just talk a little bit about those two concepts? Yes, marrying myself. Well, 
I wrote that because you noticed you read the book. It, the book starts off talking about a broken wedding engagement and and also talking about my divorce from Ed. And I, I talk about in the book, I, I'm still single, but I'm not married to Ed anymore, which is great. I did not marry that gentleman I was thinking about marrying five years ago, but but I did marry someone else, and it's a metaphor, of course, but I feel like I married myself, and what I mean by that, it's like it's an inner marriage of body, mind, and spirit. I'm finally connected with who I am, and I learn more about that every day, but it, I'm on the right path now, and, and what's amazing in my life today is that I'm finally happy. I'm happy. I'm I laugh all the time. I'm having fun. And that's what I mean when I say marrying myself. In that chapter, you might have seen I actually wrote wedding vows to myself. But the other chapter, the next right thing, that is such an important idea for anybody in recovery. It's just it's all about doing the next right thing. So if you relapse, get back on track now, not later. Do the next right thing. And I think that's a concept that we can all use in our lives as well. That's the the one chapter that is in the new book, and it's also in the old book. I used the same title for a chapter, and I did it twice because I think it's such an important concept. And one of the other concepts that you talk about in your book, too, is intuitive eating, which um, I don't think I've ever managed, but could you share with us what <laughs> intuitive eating is? Intuitive eating is really going back to eating how we did when we were a kid, if, if you think of it that way. If you think of a little baby, a baby knows when he or she's hungry, and they know when they're done, and they stop eating. It's le- learning how to listen to your body, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, and at the same time being flexible so that you can enjoy food as well. So an example, if I go to a birthday party and there's birthday cake there, I'm probably just going to eat it because it looks really good and it's a birthday party and it's fun and I love icing. (laughs) Even if I'm not hungry, I might eat it just because intuitive eating is flexible like that. Intuitive eating also means there's no good, there's no bad foods. It takes away the moral value from food. So now I, I don't divide food anymore. I don't look at a menu and think, oh, well, that's bad for me or that's good for me. I just order what my body feels like. So many people in our society demonize food. I mean, think about when you go out to eat with your friends, how many times they'll say, well, I've been really good today, so now I'm going to be bad and I'm going to order the cheesecake. Well, ordering cheesecake does not make you a bad person. Stealing the cheesecake would be bad. So that's kind of a little brief overview on intuitive eating. Well, and I think the the nice way of framing it that way, too, is that you don't become obsessive about what you're eating. You don't trade one obsession for another. You're not counting yes. calories. You're not, you know, looking at how many trans fats or whatever. Jenny, exactly. it's been delightful having you for this hour, and I want to wish you continued success, and um, good luck because your message is very strong and it's so important. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks for having me. And everybody, remember, goodbye, Ed, hello, me, Jenny Schaefer, and we'll see you next week. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.